Thank you for joining me for this episode of Nepal Now, the podcast where we discuss new ideas and initiatives to move the country forward. My name is Marty Logan. I reached out to Gyanu Arikari, wondering if I had missed the boat. I wanted to speak to him about co-founding The Record, an online news portal that started publishing in 2014. But the website had stopped posting new information this past July. I probably should have contacted him two years earlier, after I started this podcast. But I think as a media person myself, I just took The Record for granted as another media portal, not as an experiment in providing news without advertising and in multiple formats, which the website did. So I was happily surprised when Gyanu agreed to an interview, but startled when he said that what he really wanted to discuss was his optimism about Nepal's future. It's rare to hear that view. Instead, what many people seem to want to talk about are government failures, the lack of action on air pollution, and to combat health crises like COVID-19 and the ongoing dengue outbreak Myself, I can easily get fixated on the glacial progress towards solving long-standing issues like lack of healthcare in rural areas and the mind-boggling neglect of preparations for the inevitable disasters that occur during the monsoon. So it was really good to hear from someone who can see beyond the obvious problems. Back to the record and journalism in Nepal more broadly. Here, I think Gyanu was hopeful rather than optimistic. Hopeful that some young entrepreneurial media people would build on the record's record, in particular counting on subscribers instead of advertisers to generate the resources to keep the portal running and with an eye to maintaining its independence. That would be easier today than when the site was launched, thanks to huge advances in online payment services, Gyanu pointed out. Perhaps the new operation could be bilingual too, he suggested. This conversation reminded me of my chat with Shaili Basnet, who has climbed Mount Everest and is now a stand-up comic, motivational speaker and mentor to young women. When I asked her in 2021 why so many Nepalis were reaching global heights as climbers, chefs, performers, etc., she made it sound like a natural evolution part of the country's so-called development, if you like. I still feel that it is largely the people of Nepal who are leading the country forward rather than its leaders. As you'll hear, Gyanu disagrees with me. Listen to our chat now to find out why. Gyanu Arikari, welcome to Nepal Now. Thank you very much, Marty. I'm glad to be here. So many of our listeners probably know you as a co-founder of The Record, the online newspaper that stopped publishing a few months ago. And we will be talking about The Record and journalism in Nepal more broadly a little later. But first, you told me when I reached out to you something very interesting and something that I don't hear very often. You wanted to talk about your optimism for the country. So... Please start and, and tell me why you are so positive about the country's future. Yeah, um, this might not be the best time to be optimistic because a lot of things seem to be going wrong in the world. 
um, there's a war going on. Um, markets everywhere are crashing. Um, there's a big energy crisis going on. Countries are going into defaults. And all you hear is bad news. But but I, I have a little bit of contrary opinion um, based on um, three things, really. Um, well, first, I think all these all these um, macro events that are causing pessimism are going to go away in, uh, in, in a short while. Second is that I think Nepal has three three fantastic things going for it, and one is um, it's uh, it's demographics, which is very young and um, eager to work and get out of the country if possible, and go back and you know do things, and it's very hungry and curious about the world. Second is that we have a, a democracy which is turning out to be a very exceptional political system, especially in um, Asia and Africa and, and that part of the world. And um, if you look at the map, actually, um, um, from between Turkey to South Korea, um, I heard this from, from Tom Bell, or, or I didn't hear him directly from him, but I, I heard him quoted on this, um, that, you know, there is very few democracies in between and Nepal stands out. And it's probably one of the... Um, best functioning democracies in that huge geographical span and there was india which which claims to be a biggest democracy but uh, you know india is having a lot of problems um i guess like taiwan is is another but but my point is that nepal is lucky to have um despite its flaws a, a functioning functioning democracy so so that will give it the 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 democratic premium or whatever like um it will it will help the country in the medium and long term uh, a lot and the third thing is uh, that makes me very optimistic about nepal's future especially economic future is that as the world um kind of makes huge efforts to transition to clean energy nepal is very well poised to kind of take take advantage of the hydro boom that's finally happening in the country and it's producing it's expanding its production capacity very very rapidly and uh, this year it started exporting electricity also um so so that is going to be an enormous uh, a really big source of source of foreign currency is going to be a source uh, of uh, competitive advantage over a lot of other countries that are going to face rising energy costs especially from fossil fuels um and uh, it's uh, you know it's uh, nepal can also kind of uh, kind of be a very attractive destination for a lot of uh, investors around the world for being like a very clean energy country i think those two three things are the biggest reason that i'm kind of optimistic about where where we are headed yeah i mean those those are all very positive and one other thing that surprisingly i think actually seems to be doing maybe doing better than expected right now is the tourism rebound it looks like very quickly people are starting to return to to nepal more quickly than i think a lot of people forecast because obviously we're still kind of in the pandemic and then there are all these other things happening that that you mentioned at the beginning I mean, just to get kind of philosophical for a moment uh, and maybe play the devil's advocate a little bit, I mean, I, I'm really happy that you are focusing on the positives because I think in general, 
we just don't do that enough. And it's very easy to, to always point your finger at the bad things. But you need to be realist as well. And we can't put our heads in the sand about these other issues, such as, you know, people migrating to work overseas because there just aren't enough opportunities here at the moment. And given that, you know, there are, as you said and rightly pointed out, those really important possibilities, but also the negative things. Do you think it makes a difference how you approach it? I mean, how people perceive the country. Is it important that the leaders, you know, are positive about the country? I think it makes a huge difference. Um, it kind of sets the mood for your next steps, right? And, you know, the the point about how bad things are, really, it depends on whether it's going to get worse or whether it's going to get better, right? Um, so I think, like, all the things are bad, they're not going to get a lot worse from here. You know, you could you could put it in another way, like things are so bad that they can only get better in some ways, right? Um, so I th- I think we have to look at like look into the future and think about whether it's going to get progressively worse from here or progressively better from here. And I I think like um, in terms of those th- three things I pointed out, like the enormous uh, hydro boom and um, the demographics, which is very eager to move about and you know explore the world and um, raise their standards of living and education all that stuff I think I think those things will really like kind of catapult Nepal and, and you know 2006 2008 like everybody was waiting for like the kind of peace dividend in Nepal you know the, the 20 years of uh, um, political instability and you know 10 years of war and 10, 10 more years of wrangling over constitution and big big political battles i think that era is over um i think i think nepal is right now at a at a cusp of like kind of reaping that peace dividend and uh um is both its internal situation and and externally too um given the position of you know a, a very fast rising india will will help the country as well um, so I think I think all the factors that are aligned, I think in, in 10, 15 years, Nepalese would be very pleasantly surprised how, how far along the country has come. Mm, okay, I certainly hope you're right. One of the things that I've repeated probably too often is that I think Nepal has done well in, in the last couple of decades that you were just mentioning, uh, despite the politicians, despite its leadership. I mean, despite... You know, all of the hardship that the country went through, it has continued to to grow and progress, right? Look at the indicators. Like the year I was born, um, Nepalese lived on average for like about uh, 42 years or so. Um, Now, Nepalese live on average for 70 years. Like within one generation, that's a a leap forward. And look at if you look at other development indicators uh, about the standards of living and quality of life, they're all improving. The world in 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 general tends to get richer over time, but are we increase, uh, improving faster enough? Is the question. And I think I think our pace of improvement is, is going to pick up from now on. But also, my take on the politicians is not the usual take in Kathmandu. I mean, although like I have the kind of benefit of being away from there so I, I don't have to deal with the everyday maybe that's why 
But I think we should be really thankful for um, the current crop of politicians for, you know, getting us to a republic. You know, that was, I mean, who would have imagined in my generation before 2000, 2005, that we would one day be a republic. It was unthinkable. And getting us to a, a federal system, which is, as I said, it's it's starting from a very, um, very low point, but and it can only get better. I think I think like politicians have done a um, lot of things that we are unhappy with. There is corruption, nepotism. There is Nepal. It seems to be going back on the inclusion agenda. You know, there's a lot of things that they they could do better. But I think I think the overall cynicism about the political leadership, I think, is actually quite misplaced. And I think, like more than any other uh, generation of politicians, this crop has delivered quite a bit. Okay. Well, um, I'm not sure. I mean, certainly, yes, those accomplishments are are great. And I haven't studied this enough or just spent enough time talking to people about it. I wonder if the politicians were dragged kicking and screaming to those accomplishments. But but this isn't going to be a political discussion. And uh, it, it would be nice to have it with you one day, for sure. Tell me, just to switch gears a little bit, you mentioned that you're you're not inside the country right now, and maybe that gives you a bit of a different perspective. But um, I understand you're in the U.S. Are you, you know, doing something similar to what you were doing with the record, or what are you up to these days? So I moved to Washington D.C. Um, just before the pandemic, September 2019. Um, I'm here with my uh, wife, who works at the World Bank, and uh, my two kids, and we moved here because uh, of her job. And because she wanted to be closer to her sister, who also lives here. Um, and uh, for the past few years, I have been a, a house husband, sort of. Um, I didn't have a work permit to work here. And the pandemic, you know, forced us all inside. So I, we've been like hunkering down and I've been spending a lot of time with the kids. Okay, well, that, that sounds good. I mean, in some ways, people might complain that they're unable to work. But on the other hand, it's nice to have that time, especially, you know, as a guy, generally you're expected to be the one working or... It's definitely not the not the gender norm. Um, it's uh, kind of surprising to, or at least like not common um, in Nepali societies for the wife to be working and husband to be taking after the kids. Um, but, you know, it's been very rewarding. I think like especially from in my generation and others, you know, um, and in, in current day Nepal too, like the absent father is a very much a common phenomena, especially with people going abroad to, with, with the men going abroad to work. So I feel um, uh, very privileged to be able to do that actually. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to explore the world with the kids too. Yeah, and, and D.C. is a great place to do it for, with, for the museums, uh, especially. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about journalism in Nepal. And I think some people would like to hear a little bit about the record particularly, but we'll, we can broaden the discussion as well. I, I went back and looked just uh, before we started at the Facebook page for the, the website, and it describes the record as fiercely independent and member-supported. Um, obviously, though, the site stopped publishing in July. Does that mean that it's not possible to have a media in Nepal in English 
that is fiercely independent and member-supported? Well, I think it's definitely possible. If anything, um, our experience has, uh, in the past 10 years has taught us that um, that is possible. Um, the audience is there. You know, the, the kind of um, big change from when we started and now, and I say this, that if we had if we had started now, we would probably have have been a lot more successful going forward than when we started. Nepal has again Nepal has made enormous progress in the last ten years or so, right? And one of the areas is let's say like um, the the digital payment system, right? Um, when we started, it was very difficult to do a membership based model because you know the the payment system just wasn't there, and um, it's only like. It's been a past couple of years, um, probably accelerated by the pandemic, that Nepal has made this giant leap in terms of um, how payments are made. Like it's improved dramatically. So, with with that in place, and with perhaps like um, expanding the reader base into Nepali, and really going after the Nepali reading, Nepali speaking public. Um, I think the membership model is is very much uh, very much possible, and fierce fierce independent journalism in Nepal has always been there in nooks and corners, and you know different um, individuals in in different media houses have been fiercely independent. That I, I don't mean to imply that you know record was only publication which was aiming to be that or was that, and the kind of um, the so called mainstream. Media has has a lot of people who are fiercely independent and produce fiercely independent journalism, and you know I, we we have a lot of respect respect for that as well. Okay, right. And in the message that you posted on the website, you and Kate Saunders, your co-founder, you said that you had many ideas for reviving the record. Are you still exploring those, or what's what's the status? Is there a status? So we are um, on a hiatus right now and we're trying to like, you know, um, have a, maybe a, a year or so of like kind of thinking time to see what other avenues uh, might be there to revive it. But the thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be Kate or I who revive it, right? I mean, we built it for because we felt like this, this space needed uh, uh, that kind of publication and I'm hoping um, that down the road there will be enthusiastic people from a younger generation, perhaps, who kind of want to, you know, experiment with it and do something with it and take it to a new direction, perhaps, perhaps into audio. I don't know. We haven't really given up on the idea. Um, we still believe that it's worth trying to create a, um, a media group that really values independent journalism and also values um, journalists and tries to take care of them as much better than the current current media houses. Um, and, you know, that dream is still alive. It hasn't, it hasn't been killed yet. Um, but we don't know when, when we'll be able to pick it up, honestly, because it's, uh, it's a very like time consuming and uh, resource consuming enterprise. And, because we were um, not doing any you know, advertisements or not doing any, like we didn't really have a large enough membership base to kind of keep the publication going. We had to pause. 
And so is one of the more serious, if I can say, ideas to have it be bilingual? And, and wouldn't that be really complicated? Well, actually, it's not. Um, being bilingual would actually uh, is probably the a very smart thing to do if you want to um, really grow fast. You know, if you're in Nepal, the audience size and the number and reach is uh, altogether different scale. If you're in Nepali versus English. You would need people who are very proficient in Nepali. Um, and uh, the, the, the back end, the software and the tech expertise needed to run, run it would actually um, kind of be an asset for Nepali too because like all you need to do is tweak a thing here and there and you have the same software producing Nepali stories. Well, that sounds still slightly positive. There sounds like there's definitely potential there. When I think of the record, you know, a lot of things come to mind. I was just doing it. There's the fact that new voices, I saw a lot of new voices in the record. I saw longer form journalism. Um, I saw topics highlighted that weren't in the other English media. For you, can you put your finger on one thing or maybe just one or two things that define the record or is it all of those things and more in the beginning it was long form stories um that that was the one thing long reads um, i think we were the first publication to like regularly do long reads in in english in Kathmandu. and later we kind of um we're experimenting. I mean, we're we're experimenting with a lot of different uh, different formats and see which one um, were fun and you know useful and you know contributed to the to the public sphere. Um, but you know, like we experimented with a lot of things. The things that I'm in retrospect give me joy are the long reads are one um, at you know hot political moments we did a lot of like uh, opinion type also um the data stories are another we did really a lot of data stories um around uh, elections and um some some documentaries we produced some short documentaries um they were also enormously satisfying um especially the one on on Nisgard, which got a lot of uh, attention as well um and explainers, the history series, which we which were very popular among our especially our younger audiences, which you know there's a lot of demand for like the history, like non textbook history of Nepal um, in Nepali public sphere. I think because most of the history is very like the textbook history is very centered around kings and palace politics and that kind of stuff. So. Um, the history series that Amish did was also like very, very well, well received. Yeah, I mean, I don't have like um, one particular format that I really kind of would zero in on. We did some audio stories as well on history and um, some podcasts. The photo stories were also like, like great fun to produce and publish. I, th- I like I like most of I'm biased. I like most of the stuff that's there. 
<laughs> Good answer. And I have to say thank you because you did host this podcast also. So yeah, thanks very much for doing that. Most welcome. I see that there there are still new uh, portals, like news portals coming up in English only. I mean, I'm not counting them, but there was another, there's another new one that came out. Obviously, people are still eager to do it. Um, they, and they must think that somehow they're going to succeed. I mean, do you think, you mentioned earlier that if you had started the record now or more recently, you might have had a better shot of making it last longer. Do you think these people who are starting now are doing something, you know, are building on some of that technology that you mentioned? Will they have a better chance of making a go of it? I don't know because I don't really know how they are planning to be sustainable. Um, we were like the 200 something online. I think there are about 2000 online sites registered with the press council now. So it's, it's, it's really exploded because there's very low barriers to entry to be in that space. Um, most of them will probably not make it, but I think a lot of a lot of these enterprises. I don't know. I don't know what their business models are and how they how they're planning to be sustainable. But you know, like if you're um advertisement driven, like you might um have connections that keep you going barely for for several years based um from those advertisements until you manage to grow and be a sizable presence that advertisers come to you. Um. If if you are planning on and I I hope Nepali aspiring like media entrepreneurs really look into the membership model which we tried. I don't think any people should give up on it. I think it's it's an excellent model that should be taken further. And the current environment, um, where as I said, the payment, the improvements in the payment system, and just like kind of, um, the penetration of internet and smartphones and the kind of technological technological changes that have come in Nepali society make make that a lot more achievable now you know and and if the advantage of the model the the membership model we tried actually it goes beyond money too it really helps um kind of build a build a community around your publication uh, and also, like, it also makes the publication uh, or the channel, like, editorially, it improves the medium editorially also. Because, like, once you're membership-based, then your years are um, kind of directed towards what your core supporters, what your people who appreciate your publication enough that they're willing to voluntarily, like, give you money, right? That's a That's a big hurdle to climb um so editorially also i think it, it helps the channel or publication become very very um very sound and reader focused or audience focused yeah that definitely makes sense say a little bit about the journalists because we don't talk about the journalists i think enough when we're talking about the, about the media i've been a journalist for a long time um, in and out for the past couple of decades, but I was a full-time journalist for quite a long time also, and uh, mainly in Canada, but also in Asia. And one of the things that really struck me when I first came here in 2005 is how little journalists got paid. In Canada, if you were a journalist with a full-time job, that's all you needed. You could live your life and live a good life with that job. I know it's changed now, 
But when I came here, I didn't know any journalist who was just doing one thing because they just didn't make enough money. And so they had to wear all these different hats. Um, how, how does the journalist fit into the model that the record was you know, built on? And, and your, maybe your current thinking now about the people who actually produce the content? Well, you are certainly a, a kind of a big motivation, actually, the way um, journalists were treated in Kathmandu, that there was a big motivation for starting our, our company because we thought if if things worked out the, and if we were able to kind of grow the way we wanted and become a um, successful enterprise, that we could take better care of the reporters, give them, you know, with all proper diligence on labor rights and um, social security and all that stuff. So that was a big motivation. When we had the money and, you know, we tried to set high standards in terms of how we paid our writers also, I think we always aimed to be slightly above the market rate because we thought the market rate was so bad. Um, and you're right. It's it's very hard to be a journalist in Kathmandu. That's why, like, we keep losing talent to, um, to NGOs and INGOs. Um, you know, especially in English language, it's very hard to stay in the field. It's very unfortunate. Um, in terms of in terms of journalists who pass through the record, because we're never really established entity, it was always kind of um, running on ad hoc basis. We we're always running out of money and like trying to do how to like retain or let go people. We, we, um, one of the greatest pleasures in my life has been, you know, getting to know know the, all the all the people who pass through our doors, um, especially the journalists who came with very you know most of them were smarter than i am and came with very excellent ideas about what to do and where to take the publication and what kind of stories to cover and you know that was a that was a source of great joy it still is and uh, you know i i really hope that the record take two or something built on the record uh, the record's model and experience does spring up here in nepal again so listen, Gano, it was it was really great talking to you. Thanks for sharing your views. I'm I'm glad to hear that you're you're uh, spending some quality time with your family there in Washington. Well, thank you very much. It was it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks again to Gano Adikari for spending some time with me today. If you like this episode, or if you didn't like it or just disagreed with my or Gyanu's opinions, let us know. We're at Nepal Now or at Nepal Now Pod on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Right now, before this episode ends, take a minute, actually take a few seconds, to like, follow, or favorite the show wherever you're listening so you don't miss the next one. I'm Marty Logan. Thanks for being with me. I'll talk to you again soon.